everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bomb. I am your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So on today's show, I am welcoming back Ben Johnson. Hey, Ben, what's up, man? Que paso? <laughs> ben was on a number of weeks ago with Tulio from Reef Bright and Rich Ross, Ben's co-host for the Reef Beef podcast. That was one hell of a show, wasn't it, uh, Ben? It was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of good info in there. It was a lot of good info. I had to like watch it three times to make sure I uh, was able to absorb all the info because I got a lot going on here in terms of being the uh, the host of this thing, and I'm like trying to like watch the chat. I'm trying to moderate. I'm trying to like make sure I you know guests like yourself don't say anything that's going to get me in trouble, <laughs> which is probably it might happen tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey folks, thanks for tuning in. I see some regular uh, folks on the um, on the live stream. Battle OCR, Scotty Damron, Wade Riles. Who else do I see? Brock B, Braveheart Reefer five two five. Oh, I hear some beefers. Some beefer. Are, are there some beefers uh, in the audience here tonight? Yeah. Cool. So, um, you know, and and um, let me say one thing. The um, the sponsored by thing at the beginning. I don't know if that snuck in or not, but I have no sponsor right now. And <laughs> sponsor my brother. <laughs> Marine, Marine Depot is uh, is is going to be out of business by the end of the month. So, uh, hey, Ben, if you have any uh, ideas on, on sponsors, I am totally open to uh, to that. But, um, you know, I, I think I think I'm close. Follow the merger. Follow the merger. There you go. <laughs> anyway, I thought it would be great to have Ben on solo since he's an aquarium maintenance guru and the name of his company for those of you that don't know is captive aquatic ecosystems and it's based in houston texas how hot has it been in texas these days man this summer has been super mild i think pacific northwest stole our uh, heat gotcha so the heat dome is over the pacific northwest yep so ben has spoken at magna as well as the last aquashella right Yep, you were a speaker there. Uh, he has strong opinions about how to, you know, how things should be done with a reef tank. So we're going to talk all things uh, reef with with Ben, including reef tank maintenance and husbandry. What exactly is husbandry? Do you uh, know the definition of husbandry? Well, this is going to be my own definition. I don't know what's in the <laughs> in the dictionary, but you know, the the, the care of the livestock. There you go. Whereas like maintenance might be more like the care of the skimmer, the pump, the stuff like that. Gotcha. Okay. So, so I would say pertains to live animals. Yes. So folks, um, we encourage you to drop your questions in the chat there and, and we'll, uh, it's a lot more fun when it's, when it's interactive and, uh, you know, Ben and I'll have our own little, uh, conversation going on, but certainly feel free to, uh, to interject. So, so, um, Ben, how's it going with the, uh, the reef beef podcast, man? I'm, um, I'm a big fan of those. Really? Thank you. Um, no, it's kind of surprising because uh, we just we just a couple days ago filmed our 21. I mean, this it started off as something that Richard and I were just farting around with. I didn't even know there would be five of them, but uh, <laughs> it's, it has traction as you've must have found out. You you get fans that come out of the woodworks and and then it, you start feeling like, well, if people are watching this. I'll keep making it. <laughs> so when uh, when are you guys going to start doing it live, man? Um, you know, everyone keeps asking us that, and, and uh, um, I guess we should do it soon. Is it addictive, man? It is. It's it's like you never know. I mean, you guys are, are you know, it seems like your conversations are so free-flowing, and there's just no, 
you know, inhibitions in terms of when you're having your conversations. So you might as well just hit the uh, the live button, right? Yeah, basically what's going on, if you, if, you, if you watch our show, you'll notice there's not a lot of editing involved. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's just like you said, could just <laughs> hit record on YouTube. Maybe we'll, we'll like slip one in where we do that. And because the other stuff I'm not familiar with is like the, um, you have the super chat thing and then people like throw money at you. Yeah, like they actually pay you. They actually pay you money to uh, to ask questions. So any of you folks out there that want to uh, super chat us, totally be up for that. Rome, <laughs> my brother, Keith. Um, yeah, and you get to interact with your fans too. What are you uh, What are you drinking there tonight? It is. Is it okay to say? I guess it is. Yeah. It's a New Holland Dragon's Milk, eleven ABV. So I might be cursing like a sailor by the end of this. <laughs> I am drinking. Um, Lawson's hops a lot. Oh, just single IPA. I'm okay with IPAs. I just sometimes like IPAs just too much, too much hop. This is a this is a single. I, I usually like the double octane, but uh -huh. they even make the triple, which uh, you know then you're in for a hell of a ride. Oh yeah, but they that sell like but they sell them in, in uh, they they sell them in smaller cans though. You know because legally I guess they can't serve that much alcohol in a taller can. Huh. Yeah. For the wusses out there. <laughs> so, uh, Braveheart Reef for 525. Ben needs a new backdrop. Yeah, what's up with the backdrop? Is that. Uh, oh, come on now. It'll, it'll, you know, throw money at me in the super chat and I'll buy like a new, like, <laughs> like a, like a shower curtain. I'll put behind me. We did one episode where I had a shower curtain that had Jeff Goldblum and a chimpanzee on it. I have no idea what it was, but I used it. And uh, Annie Jefferson is saying that uh, she likes his shark shirt. Um, it is. It, there, it's a true chameleon, uh, like a mm. veiled chameleon. Mm. That is really cool. Where'd you pick that up? Uh, I don't even buy my own clothes. My wife buys my clothes. I have no fashion. If it was just me, I'd be wearing a burlap bag. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Dameron, don't forget to hit that like button. Yeah, folks, hit the... Um, Hit that like button because more people will find us. Sma yeah. Smash it. They're like, yeah. They're like pushing the other fans. Do it, fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get this uh, snowball effect going here. Yeah. So, uh, Ben, man, explain to us what uh, Captive Aquatic Ecosystems is all about. This is your company. Wait, wait. You, you kind of like. You paused up. A oh, did bit. I? Okay. Was I, I was asking you about. Uh, I, I was asking what captive aquatic ecosystems was all about. I thought that was a, a question that stumped you. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, um, so I have been in the industry professionally employed since I. I guess I would say 1995. Um, in 2000, I moved to Houston, Texas. And I was a zookeeper at the Houston Zoo where I was in charge of the 4,000-gallon reef tank. And then the longer you stay at a zoo, you get more exhibits once you show comp competency. So, um, but in 2002, while I was a zookeeper, I, had, I knew enough to where it was. My dad's an entrepreneur, and he was like, dude, don't work for other people. Make them money. You know enough about this. Do it yourself. And I said, but, you know, but running a business is scary, which... Everything in life is scary until you do it. I mean, now, um, you know, I've been in business since 2002. It's still scary. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
yeah. So in so two years later, 2004, I had enough clients to where I was actually making more on the side than what I was at the zoo, which is not hard to do because <laughs> zoos traditionally pay shit. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just splits bill. Ever since 2004, I have not had a single other job. So you're um, you, you you're essentially you know taking on clients. You're doing maintenance for them. You're you're actually doing new um, tank builds, right? Yeah, new tank builds. You know the way it. You know a lot of different people must have a lot of different experiences and their different markets and what they're experienced. But you know it's crazy because what you really want is all new systems that you set up all the time. Now. I can speak from my own experience that that is not the way it shakes out most of the time. If you're good at what you do, then, uh, man, I would say 90 to 95% of my business is fixing other people's screw ups. So what was the biggest disaster you ever inherited? Dude, I have 25 years of disasters. <laughs> I, I would have to, the biggest disaster? The most pathetic tank you've ever uh, taken on. It's a lot. It seriously is. It's a lot. I mean, I have probably, between my own business and business companies that I've worked for, I've probably set hands on over a thousand aquariums. Wow. I have no idea. Wow. Um, just just a, just a lot, a lot of disasters. The things I've probably the worst ones ever, just things that I was like, no, thank you, and walked away from. I was going to ask you, have you ever walked away from a job? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Hundreds. What Hundreds. Uh, what, what, are, what do those tanks like look like? I mean, why why would you not take something on? I mean, is it just so far gone? <laughs> I should have had some, you know, in some way, shape, or form. That's the only thing about running this live is I could have shown you some. I posted recently on Facebook. Of, I use this app called Thumbtack. Uh -huh. It's pretty low-grade. But it's like a um, like a uh, like a potential client generator. You you pay like depending how much you want to put in, like a buck or to four bucks for to talk to a potential person. Uh -huh. Sometimes it's a waste of money. But I mean, in the last year, I've added over fifteen hundred dollars a month in clients. Uh -huh. So I mean, you you just get to a certain point. But yeah, on Thumbtack, you have to sift through a lot of garbage to get something good. And you literally get someone sends you a picture of an aquarium that's half filled. And I'm talking about so much cyanobacteria that you cannot see through the front <laughs> panel. And they're saying, like, need help. You know, and man, see, that's the thing, man. Being in business so long, I'm not saying I'm Billy Badass, but it's like I've hashed out how to be professional. I know how to do all that. You do not be unprofessional to anybody. But like in my head, I see that and I'm like, dude situate that tank near a window open the window and push that some bitch <laughs> up <laughs> what are you doing i mean there's some garbage my position is i don't say no to anybody so my like kind of long fought position that i had to be in business for years and years to understand this is i tell people no through a price meaning yeah. You show me that tank and you say, you know, can you help me? Well, certainly I can help you. Can you pay me $150 an hour? Yeah. Yes, I can do that. Boom, we're talking. I'll fix your stuff, $150 an hour. You know, so I do it through a price. Now, if you come back and you say, that's crazy. The other guy does it for half as much. And I don't say this to them, but I'm thinking like, why are we talking? Then go talk to the yeah, other guy. talk to the other guy. Yeah. So uh, Annie Jefferson is uh, asking... Uh, asking you to tell the wall 
fire story, wall flame story. I don't know. There's flames. Tell the wall with the flame story. So, so in um, in the in the late '90s, I worked for um, the original Fish Gallery, which only people from Texas will understand why I said the original Fish Gallery in Plano, Texas, is where this was, and we had. We had all sorts of all-star clients. I used to go in these big, crazy houses and superstars. Can you, drop, so the can late, you drop any names? Uh, Emmett, there, I, there was no non-disclosures back then, so I cleaned Emmett Smith's aquarium for two years. Cool. And when we came into that situation, the company before us had burnt like a quarter of his house down <laughs> from one of the aquariums. Oof. And so he was talking to my boss, and we talked him into an all-new aquariums and but it was an interesting thing i'd never really heard of this it was called a wall fire which because so it was a 90 gallon cube set in the wall and the idiot company before us on the drain it was just simply an open drain no this was even kind of before dursos or any of that it was like 1998 uh-huh. but i mean at least put a strainer or something like that over the drain so an eel went head first down the drain water welled up went into the wall, caused an electrical fire in the wall. Fire starts inside the wall and sucks oxygen out of the attic. By the time you know your house is on fire, there's way past that you could have done anything about it. Wow. Jeez. Yikes. We joke because that company's name was uh, Worlds Underwater. Or what was it called? Under Underwater World. And we said that they went under for burning down. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the uh, the tipping point? Yeah, but it was cool. I cleaned his aquarium for two years, and I only met him twice. I mean, these are like superstar. It's I guarantee you, Emmett Smith wasn't like chilling on his couch. He's a busy dude. <laughs> what uh, what kind of tank did Emmett Smith have? Was it just like fish only? So he had several tanks. So when you first walk in from his garage, he had a circular room, and so there was a three hundred and sixty gallon acrylic aquarium that kind of uh, mimicked the curvature of that room. And man, this is nineteen ninety eight. And so this was still still in the years of uh, that was a fish only system. But it's back when we used to do bleached coral skeletons. Yeah. And every time I'd go there, you'd bring a big tote filled with more skeletons. Yeah. You know, some of us wore gloves, but man, it was crazy back then. You'd do coral swap outs all day long. And man, your hands would turn into like 60 grit sandpaper. <laughs> but uh, so there was that 360 gallon uh, saltwater fish only. Then you go into his den. He still, it, it didn't make any sense, but he still had the two 90 gallon cubes in the wall. One of which had, was part of that fire, but we refurbished it. Yep. I, it seems like if it caught your house on fire, you'd want to just get rid of yeah, you that. Yeah. Bury that memory. But those are, those were two in wall 90 gallons. And incidentally on one of those 90 gallons was the first time in my life that I was ever, that I ever held a Tunza product. Um, it was their horizontal skimmer, um, which before that I had heard of Tunza. But man, you got to realize in the '90s, like Tunza was something that it was like, oh, you know, it was like some badass German piece of equipment. Yeah, I had um, their uh, what do you call it? their their turbo flows, their um, their recirculating pumps. Those things were just yeah. incredible, incredible surge back and forth. My garage, you know, it's crazy because. You do have to clean those more frequently because if you look at the tolerance from the magnet to the impeller well, you can barely put a piece of paper in there. And right. so these are things 
you have to, that you do that do require a lot of maintenance. But so, do you ever get people like uh, asking you, uh, you know, that that show tanked on Animal Planet was like oh, such a popular I, show. I I really just I I watched it because it was kind of like you know watching uh, you know a um, you know just it, it was just soap opera. Yeah, it was like a soap opera, and it was just comical to me in terms of what they they did in that show but it was very popular i don't think it's uh on anymore but did did any of your clients ever you know say to you hey i saw that show tank can you do a sh you know a tank like that so it's funny because there has been things throughout my 25 year career that have been like this point so before tanked it was finding nemo now I'm going to take you further back, and if there's any old school maintenance techs like myself doing this, you might laugh at this. Because before Finding Nemo, I'm serious, it was that Deuce Bigelow male gigolo movie where he was cleaning <laughs> tanks. So that, you know, I worked in fish stores back then, and they're like, oh, I was watching that movie Deuce Bigelow, and he had that lionfish, you know. So these things in pop culture that, like, yeah. cause people to come into your store and talk to you, yeah, you know. But, but tanked. Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned tanked, I was like, I roll on this and that, just because, you know what? I don't give two shits what you know anyone thinks. Hey, that's not nice, but it's just it was just made for TV crap. Yeah, I hated the fact that uh, they gave the perception that you could set up a um, a fish tank and then like the next day put fish in it and everything's going to be hunky dory. They never did any. Uh, there was never any follow ups in terms of like what those fish uh, were like you know, 30 days later. I mean, who, who knows in terms of the, uh, the mortality rate in terms of all the, um, you know, the animals they put into those tanks. I mean, it's a, it's kind of the same thing. Like, uh, um, I mean, those of us who, who dive deeper into things, like it's a kind of the same thing of like, uh, like kind of one of my hobbies is reading history, which sounds real boring, but this is kind of my thing. And then, so you go to like TV, you look at the history channel and what do they have on there? Like finding Bigfoot and, Loch Ness Monster, and it's like anything but, I mean, I go to YouTube to watch my history things, because, you know, TV is same thing with, like, you know, the Science Channel. Okay, what's on there? Nothing but garbage. No actual science. I mean, it's frustrating. It's the same thing with the tanked. It was like, you know, you're showing these things, but you know, people who do this like me, it's just like, yeah, I got tons of people like, oh, you know that show tanked? Yeah, I like it. And then the problem is, it makes me seem like a negative Nancy. Then when, you know, those clients are talking, I'm like rolling my eyes and then I'm like, Oh, those guys are jokers, blah, blah, blah. And it makes me sound like a hater, but yeah. I try to, if, if I've decided to be real Frank like that, just... by the way, that, uh, finding Bigfoot uh, show is pretty high quality stuff. I don't know if you ever checked it out. Please, but... Oh no, <laughs> I offended you. Keith. No, I'm kidding. It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, garbage, but, uh, entertaining. More of these, I might. Care. Yeah, there you go. Um, what was I going to say? I completely lost my train of thought. I don't even have a train of thought. <laughs> so, I'll, I'll I'll get back to that thought at some point in time, I guess. But um, yeah, another show shortly after that was some with a company. God, and the name escapes me. But Fish Tank Kings, they were yeah. more reputable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at some of the, uh, the comments here. Uh, we got a comment about your orange backdrop representing Neptune and the fact that it also, uh, there seems to be matching, uh, your shirt. Yeah. Is there any material connection to Neptune there, uh, Ben, with that backdrop? I mean, like Aquaman? 
with the orange I think shirt. he's talking about Neptune Systems. Oh, Neptune Systems. Nah, man. <laughs> I am. I so like if if you watch our Reef Beef program, like like Richard is like a consummate control freak. I am like grudgingly dragged into that world because <laughs> as I can, I mean, I feel totally comfortable to claim the mantle of an old salt. It feels weird because I still feel like the kid that's looking up to all these other people. But you need some of this gray in your beard there to uh, there's, there's, a, there's a little don't, you know, don't poke <laughs> fun at me just because I'm genetically superior. <laughs> but, uh, um, Did you lose your yeah, train of thought? I like I like Apex stuff, but I'm, I'm like every tank that I do does not have an Apex on it. So let's let's get into your um, you know your your uh, your day to day stuff and 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 focus. Let's first focus on the maintenance part of it all. You know what uh, what's your typical routine for a client in terms of maintenance? What uh, how often would you you know do a house call to take care of a tank and and what's really the uh, you know I know there's a whole bunch of different things you do in terms of maintenance, but on a weekly basis, what do you try to take care of? So. You know, so first and foremost, I'm a business. So if it's in a glass box, I mean, to be quite frank with you, if it's your toilet bowl and you're going to pay me $150 an hour, I don't really care. Um, fresh water, salt water, fish only, reef, African cichlids, a turtle tank, a, a water feature. I don't care. All of that is stuff I can do. Dabbled in ponds a little bit. Not necessarily pond building, but it can take care of ponds. I have some some friends that do pond buildings that I usually drop those off to. But uh, um, so basically the breakdown is this. Out of all the years I've been doing this, a freshwater needs maintenance at least once every four weeks. So I schedule it that way. Hmm. <clears throat> a lot of times when it's a commercial account, I will try to push you towards getting it done more frequently because on a commercial account, people are walking through your business all day long. And you, you don't want to see any sort of decline. I mean, in a commercial place where people are seeing this tank all day long and it gets a little bit of algae, this or that, you know, so I'll push them to maybe try to get it done every other week. Just it needs to stay like crisp every single day. Um, fish on, saltwater fish only system. Technically, you could go once every four weeks. I'm not fond of that. Hmm. Um, but you have those clients out there that get more comfortable on that so when you I, when, when you say like every four weeks you know when you're making a house call they're obviously the uh, the customer has to do something in terms of maintenance right or no when you go on a freshwater four weeks no on a saltwater you go to four weeks like you're gonna have to be doing a few things yeah unless you you don't want a total disaster yeah. but but i guess i would say that kind of speaks to how i design a tank either from scratch or if i've taken over your tank how i've revamped it and uh, I mean, we could go into all the specifics. It's a lot of details, but just the specific ways that I set up a tank to be able to weather it not being in my living room, you, you know, every day and day out. So, you know, something goes wrong. You know, it's just the 25 years of learning what goes wrong and how to hedge that bet using decent equipment and, and you know, certain pieces of equipment. Reef tank. So, I mean, I'll be flat out honest and say this. I, I look at I look at my own market here in Houston and I try to always get a good read on what people around me. There's some there's two really big companies and then there's a whole 
spattering of medium and tiny companies and even guys that aren't even companies. In terms of like tank maintenance companies. Yeah. Yeah. And so I try to get a good read on what people are charging. It may sound crazy, but I've been doing this for a long time. I want to be, even though I'm not a large company, I want to be high up on that hourly rate because I do not want to mess with a system that I know is not going to do anything. So you're paying me money and you have expectations that I'm going to do this stuff that I've talked about. I cannot do it if you don't listen to me about changing this skimmer, doing this, doing that, the frequency that I'm there, how much that I charge. If you it, you got to pay to play. I'm a business. Yep. You, you When you approached me and asked me, you know, and, and saw the tanks that I do and you say you like them, that's where you want something like that. And it costs money to do that. So so once a week is kind of reserved for my VIP clients like the I have several of them right now. We have like a just philanthropist and we got oil company owner. We got high end doctor. We got architect. We got stuff like this. You don't want to touch it. You don't know shit about it. You just want me to show up and do everything. All you do is feed the tank and then call me if something looks off. Right. That's that once a week, and that's a lot of money. So what are you um, what are you doing? Those are reef tanks. Those are reef tanks. I don't have a certain any person that would you you could if you got a, a freshwater tank, you could almost get discus in that sort of upper atmosphere. Um, and I've had that before. Don't have one right now. But uh, yeah, you could get discus up there in that in that upper atmosphere. But usually people are going to spend that sort of dough. They're usually leaning towards salt water. So what are you doing on those weekly calls with reef tanks? What's what's your routine when you go in there? I mean, obviously it depends on the tank, but you basically, you know, and I might be old school on this, but basically everything anchors around a water change. So you got the water change, however you're going to do it, you know, and then there's a lot of the maintenance is, uh, you know, while you're kind of doing the water change or while you're what, you know, mixing the water up or what, uh, what percentage of the water do you like to change? It depends. It's sort of arbitrary. It's kind of hard for like me to say an equation because it's like, you know, you start cleaning an aquarium and depending on the frequency you show up, you get a good feel for it. Man, last time I did two buckets and now I'm sitting in front of it looks looks dirty so i'm gonna ask the client like how much did you feed did you overfeed or something like that yeah you know and then i'm gonna do three buckets so you do three buckets next time you come like damn okay looks good do three buckets again next time you show up damn it looks good so then you know over time you're just like okay three buckets on this tank until further notice you know and i say buckets but it could be whatever if you, you know, had whatever. if you had to say uh, if you had to recommend to somebody in terms of tank maintenance and doing water changes what would if i had to like nail you down for a percentage what would you say um depends on the frequency but i always kind of feel like you know i'm i'm one of the people that so let's be honest a reef tank a reef tank doesn't like changes even when that change is going towards good so the more baseline you can keep it, you know, nitrate, doing this, water change, water change, water change. No, I mean, do it. The, you know, I guess it's in my blood is the maintenance, but there's some people like, I don't like aquarium maintenance or I don't like maintenance, period. And this is just not a good hobby for that. Yeah. I'm just getting at, you know, the more frequent you do it, also the less work that you would do every single time. You know, I just think it'd be a good idea to change some water once a week, every other week. It, for me, every other week would be a minimum, you know, maybe anywhere from 10 to 20 percent. 
sort of an arbitrary number, but something around there. Yeah, I, I, you know, for years and years and years, I essentially change out 10% of my water every every week, you know? Yeah. So um, I just try to, like, be very consistent. And I also really try to um, siphon out a lot of the uh, detritus. What, um, what do you do in terms of trying to manage? Oh, I'm sorry. I think we temporarily lost. He's back. You, you, you touched the button there, Ben. Yeah, I should have. Uh, I should have put it on uh, the 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 moon thing for do not disturb. Sorry about that. <laughs> I told you I'm a caveman. I think you're you're the first guest I ever had that actually blipped out for a couple of seconds. I've had people freeze up, but I've never I've never really? had anybody go to blue with the Skype oh, Skype well, logo. It's like Nightcrawler from X Men. I bamfed out of the screen. <laughs> um. Okay, the question was uh, uh, detritus. Okay, so you know what's real popular nowadays is using your Apex to do automatic water changes, mm. and, and I think that's I think that is cool. I don't like them. It's not something. I don't new. like them. For me, for me, a water change is completely functional. You're doing something functional. So I, me personally, don't really like. I know that I know the pros and cons. So don't go in the comment section and tell me why it's good. I know why it can be good. But for me, when I'm doing a water change, I'm pulling out algae, I'm removing detritus, I'm siphoning out cyanobacteria, I'm unclogging the sand bed, I'm, I'm something functional. And so that's why I don't see, you know, water changes, something like automatic water changes. Sure, I'm biased. I'm a maintenance guy. It's in my blood. I carry buckets around and I sweat all over the place. It's what I do. But uh, yeah. I remember back in the days when like deep sand beds and stuff like that, where people were like, don't, don't gravel siphon your substrate. You'll disturb all the creatures. But you know, I, I routinely, I don't, I have different sort of water changes for different things that I see when I walk up to an aquarium. Um, you know, whether it's gravel vac, whether it's making the skimmer wet skim, whether it's uh, using a, a, a smaller tube to siphon out things like cyanobacteria, um, I don't very often nowadays take like a big hose and just walk up and like remove a bunch of water, put a bunch of water back in. It's usually one of the before mentioned things that I do. So um, a couple of things. Um, who mentioned this? Uh, you just mentioned cyano and we had a, um, a question from Blue Reef about cyano. How does Ben deal with cyano in his client's tank? Um, Is that Blue Reef the Blue Reef? Said Blue Reef. I guess the Blue Reef. Well, that's funny. I mean, if that's the company or something like that, I actually use their product to deal with that. <laughs> so, so voila. <laughs> um, let me say this, which this, um, these are interesting things sometimes when you do this as a business. As a hobby, you know, I'll get advanced hobbyists saying like, oh, I don't like to use like cyanobacteria remover. My co-host Richard, and it completely valid where he'll, he'll just wait out things like cyanobacteria takes over, you know, he'll siphon it out when he's doing a water change, but he, he'll, he doesn't go and off balance his system with chemicals and whatnot. From a hobbyist perspective, that makes total sense because I'll also tell you from an old time salt, half of these things that, that Aquarius watching this are freaking out about, you don't have to freak out about most of this stuff. Most of this stuff will run its course. And sometimes the things that you think are course corrections further screw up the yeah. tank so so i think that's one thing that i would say like one day when you can call yourself an advanced reefer 
is when you learn to be a little more patient and a little more chill and, and not go charging after every little thing that you see. Um, so on, so put my train back on the track. Yeah, we're talking about Santa, whether or not you believe in using chemicals. So, uh oh, you paused. Oh, a did little I? Okay. Bit. Yeah, no, we're talking about uh, cyano. So, whether or not uh, the question is, do you believe in using chemicals to get rid of cyano? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I tend to go off on tangents. So, the deal is, I'm a business. And when I'm cleaning your tank, now, generally, I, you know, I don't clean the aquariums of hobbyists because if, if you're a hobbyist, what the hell am I doing at your house? Right. Um, so generally, these are just people that want me to perform a service. So you got cyanobacteria real bad. Man, I have to show results. Yeah. That tank can be clogged with cyanobacteria for like three months on end. Right. Not that a client knows what cyanobacteria is, but there's like, you know, what's this weird velvety stuff all over the place is taking over. They, they get mad because it looks unsightly. And dude, you got to do something about it, period, fast. Yeah. Whereas my advice to a hobbyist would, would maybe be a little more with the brakes on, just saying like, you know, hey, siphon it out when you're doing a water change. Don't freak out. You know, at some point it seems to have gotten ahead of you. Okay, use a chemical like Chemiclean or whatever the one Blue Life has, the whatever they call their red slime remover. Use that. It's no big deal. Do you, um, whenever you've used like a, a Chemiclean on a client's tank, have you seen uh, like dinos pop up? I know a lot of people uh, report seeing dinos pop up after using like a, a chemical to get rid of uh, cyano. I mean, I, I've used I've, I've used like Chemiclean a couple of times, you know, to uh, to beat back cyano, and it does upset the balance of the tank. And you are it is a uh, an antibacterial agent. Is it erythromycin? They, they it used to be erythromycin, but I think a lot of places. Nowadays, we'll say specifically on there, not erythromycin. Yeah, I. Um, but it is something it that could, because it could, it could kill other good bacteria, I think. Yeah. yeah. yeah there's other products where they use a, a competing bacteria that outcompetes the cyanobacteria, stuff like that. I mean, I have used whether it's a, you know, whether it was from a Ultra Life or Blue Life or, you know, I think Boyd's has one. There's a lot of companies that have. Uh, red cyano removers so um but the one i do use mostly nowadays is blue life um but you know i have my whole rigmarole it, it makes the skimmer go crazy but so i take the skimmer head off i remove all carbon remove all like poly filter anything absorption resin purigen anything like that um you dose it and then it's tricky you know you let it run for like a day or so a day two days and you'll have to schedule with the client. You come back, you do a massive water change, yes. 50 to 80% water yes. change. Um, now, here's what I do, though. I don't know if this is specific to me. Uh, I don't care if I invented it or if I did not or whatever. Um, so I'm real fond of this thing called wet skimming, where I tweak a skimmer and I add premixed salt water into a system to make the skimmer ever so slightly, to some degree or another, puke out the bubbles puke out the foam. So this is how I like changing water in, in other situations, but also when I bringing a tank back from hitting it with a, a red slime yep. remover. So I'll do a lot of that, a lot of that water change through wet skimming because, Hey, let's look at it. It's making the skimmer go absolute ape shit. So I use that to my advantage. 
And so if you just go in and just just draw out water and put water back in, I have found it to be way more effective if you use that skimmer going crazy for you to make it puke all that out. And, you know, you before you've done this, you've pre-mixed a lot of salt water that's at the, you know, the, the pH and the salinity and temperature and all that that you need. Because you're just going to, you know, lead a line from that skimmer into a, into several buckets or a drain or whatnot. And you're just going to keep going until you've done about 50 to 80 percent and the skimmer quits going so crazy. Right. Throw in fresh carbon, throw in a polyfilter, throw in some purigen, whatever you have, and then move off from there. Probably, you know, you'll run the skimmer down a little low and then next time you come by, you know, it will have, you know, but you'd rather it be low than high and then you can inch it back up. Yep. Um, Blue Reef, you know, mentioned. Uh... After that, I don't remember ever having seen Daniel Flagellates Interesting. after that. Yeah, so Blue Reef, uh, Blue Reef also, uh, you know, is asking, have you seen more, uh, you know, an increase in cyano? And it seems like a lot of folks are, are seeing more and more uh, cyano these days. Are you seeing more cyano, you know, in terms of the tank you take care of these days? I mean, it's not like a communicable. <laughs> it's not like a communicable disease. It's, um, it, you know, it's funny because you're like, wow, Ben's uh, professional course has been doing this for 25 years. I bet you he doesn't see X. It's bullshit. I see every sort of, and I cause, I myself cause all sorts of screw-ups too. This is a delicate hobby. Julian Sprung himself kills fish. I can't tell you how many. Ask Julian. Like the people I look up to and then the people that they look up to. This is a delicate-ass hobby. There's no one that's just like sailing oh, free yeah. and clear. No, it's, 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 you know, you always hear the phrase, it's always something. You know, it is always something. When I look online now, I don't do forums much because it's just for crying out loud. I do this, you know, 24 seven for 25 years. It's like I have other hobbies because your hobby is my job. But um, I, I look online and I see, you know, people are messing with this. People are messing with, you know, ICP testing. They're messing with these trace elements. They're messing with this algal turf scrubber. So, I mean, I think you could look at when a group of people try some new method and you kind of got to group this into your mind if that's possible. Like, oh, man, all these people messing with ICP and then they're all telling me they're complaining about cyanobacteria. Like I would kind of look at what method you're messing with. I And that kind of ties into something that I would tell you that I'm kind of keeping a, a side eye on. I think the future in this hobby has something to do with quantifying the bacteria that are in your system and products is bacteria, which is funny because like, you know, decades ago, that was the thing when we realized that they, you know, bacteria was important to break down fish yeah. waste. Now I feel like despite all the technology we have, the future might be tweaking bacteria because now we buy bacteria in a bottle. you got this product, that product. But I mean, as novices, we don't exactly understand the different strains of bacteria. But I, I kind of have a feel, you know, for nutrient removal and for fighting cyanobacteria, for outcompeting this, for, you know, dinoflagellates. And th there's even a company. Do you know the name of that company? Microbiome, yeah, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, Michael Paletta has, has mentioned it a couple of times on the show that he um, he uses that um, that test to, to kind of figure out yeah. the, the good versus the bad bacteria in the, in the systems. I just have a gut feeling if I'm listening to the aquatic railroad with my ear on it, it seems like that might be 
something that we're paying more attention to into the future. So there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff there, Ben, that you talked about that I'd like to kind of dig into. Um, and let's uh, let's talk about definitely want to talk about the bacteria stuff. But in in terms of the cyano again, kind of um, maybe uh, I hate this saying, but maybe put a pin in it. But uh, <laughs> what what can people do really? You know, what do you do? To, to try to prevent cyano. You know, um, I mentioned Mike, he uh, he talks about using a power head to blow detritus off of the rocks in his uh, reef tank. And, and, you know, detritus is certainly a source of uh, cyano, but, uh, you know, also keeping nutrients in check. You know, what, um, what do you do with the tanks that you maintain to try to prevent these cyano blooms? I have a great answer for you, and it's really long. Go for it. Stability. That's it. You're done. Stability. Stability, Stability in terms of the uh, key parameters. Now, as someone who's been doing this for a long time, it doesn't mean that I don't change up what I do sometimes. Sometimes I try stuff out and this and that. Now, let's take a look at a zero to five year hobbyist. They don't know, you know, the difference between a hole in the ground in their ass. Just out of, you know, you go on the floor. They're learning what to do. Now they're going to try this and then they tried that. Oh, I needed a better skimmer. You know, so all of that's going to create instability, which it's almost like preordained. It's going to happen. You don't know what you're doing. So you're listening to this guy and you got this problem. You're trying this and oh, my salinity isn't high enough. But, you know, you're learning the ropes. So inherently, everything's going to be all over the page. You know, it's funny because that's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. That in itself is going to give you a tough experience. Your inexperience is going to give you a rough experience in keeping aquariums because you don't know what the hell you're doing. You know, I um, <clears throat> I just put out a, a video that um, the title of the video was "Why is this uh, becoming hard? Why is reef keeping becoming harder?" And you know, the three main reasons why I threw out there, you know, why this hobby is becoming harder is, you know, one. We have more efficient equipment, right? So you've got these uh, very, very efficient skimmers and filtration, other filtration devices like roller mats that are just essentially zeroing out nutrients and bottoming out nitrates and phosphates, uh, leading to dino outbreaks, which uh, you know could be uh, cyanos the next thing or or what have you. It's just you know, so you and then you're dosing nitrates and phosphates to keep those levels up, right? This is stuff I never did before, you know. I right there right there what you just said was in my head again i should quit saying how long i've been doing this but i'm just saying, as a long time professional course i am beside myself to understand that we are not only are we adding it but companies make are making products <laughs> companies made products for us to take nitrate and phosphate out of the water then they made you know certain things and certain you know and now we're turning around we're adding it back now, you know, someone that might be watching this that's a manufacturer or whatnot, Ben, you don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And that's cool. I might not understand. I just cannot believe that we are freaking adding it back. Right. You know, so you got that going on. Then um, the other thing you mentioned ICP tests is I believe there's too much information out there. So you're doing an ICP test and you've got all, the, you know, 35 different elements that you're looking at. And maybe one or two of them are like in the yellow zone. You start freaking out. And, you know, you well, know. And, and I, and I, I love ICP. I mean, listen, I use ICP yeah. tests. I use ICP tests for red flags. You know, if, if anything's looking wrong with my tank, I'll order an ICP test and I'll see what's going on. 
But, you know, I think my, my main point is not to overreact and start tweaking stuff if your tank is looking good. You know, if your tank is... Guess how many times I have sent off an ICP test? Zero? Yeah. Zero. Now, that might be more of... That might speak more to who I am, whatever, an old school reefer. Um, it doesn't mean that there's been times where that might have been helpful, for sure. But people who I look up to, Sanjay Joshi, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Maupin, um, these are PhD people. You know, uh, Richard Ross You know, and Chris Maupin wrote a paper on this. So I'm not trying to pick a fight with ICP people. But I'm saying that it has been shown. So my fear is that the, the lower level Aquarius thinks that ICP is some golden god on a hill. My position is that, okay, maybe in the future it could be, but I'm just saying that it is not. And Sanjay has given this talk several times about he's not trying to like poop on ICP, but he's just saying, be careful. It's, it is accurate. It's more accurate than your home test kits. It's not as accurate as you are led to believe. And then the other thing I don't I don't like. So I don't like the territory where we, where we get like, you know, oh, your your rubidium is low. Here we sell this rubidium. OK, marine scientists, what do we need rubidium for? And they're like, we don't know what you need. Now, I'm making yeah. that up about rubidium, but I'm just saying we're tweaking. We're, we're tweaking. Richard and I always take this position where it's terrible to chase numbers and stuff like this because it's very arbitrary. It doesn't even mean a whole hell of a lot. Now, now you just gave us a hundred something more set of elements to chase down when marine scientists can't even agree what level molybdenum should be at and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I just, I can't, I'm not, I ain't down with it. <laughs> Scotty Damron brings up a good point, and I agree with ICP. You really need a, a starting number before you can say, well, this is up and that's down. Too many variables. I mean, I do like to order ICP tests when my tank is looking good because then I do have a, a baseline. And then if I notice something okay. that's, you know, it's, it's looking very off and I, I don't have any answers to it, then I'll order another ICP test and maybe there'll be something that stands out. But, you know, usually when I order an ICP test, my lithium is like way through the roof. And uh, I haven't, um, you know, heard of anyone saying that lithium could potentially be an issue with a, uh, you know, with a with a reef tank. But um, with mental problems, I take lithium. <laughs> Good point. So, yeah. uh, what do you do in terms of uh, testing water parameters? What are your um, key parameters that you'd like to test? That is another thing that's going to make viewers go, "What the?" <laughs> um. I am weird on that. I, I, yes, testing can be important. I am a weirdo in that this is going to sound arrogant and ridiculous, but I'm one of those people where um, I just have a keen eye for what I'm looking at and I can tell if something's off. I know a few things to do that kind of hedge my bets when things look off and I write it back. Um, now, there's things that I feel like you have to test for. You really have to test for alkalinity. Um, and there may be, so I'm not a chemist, but there may be chemists watching this that are like, ah, and throw a tomato at the screen. But I feel like you can pay more attention to alkalinity 
and maybe a little less attention to calcium and magnesium and still have a good result. Now, I will tell you too, people running these dominated by SPS coral tanks, you're going to run a finer line. You're running a finer line on everything. So any sort of reef laziness that you may have, if you have one of these just like massive dominated SPS everywhere, yeah, man, you got to watch everything. You have to stay on top of everything. You know, a butterfly farts on the coast of Africa and you're like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's more like that. And I like the whole SPS thing, but, you know, maintenance clients aren't generally like that. This you don't have a lot of SPS dominant tanks. They uh... dominated. No, but I do have a lot of massive SPS colonies out there in mixed reef tanks. I do splendid. I just. I can't, I can't put a complete SPS dominated tank out somewhere and I'm not going to your place four times a week and you're paying me four times my mortgage. Like <laughs> there's a client out there that's like that, buddy, give me a call. Yeah. So, so um, you wouldn't like uh, have a, um, an Alcatronic or a uh, cage director installed or a Trident installed at a client's place so you can monitor that stuff remotely? I I could, I should, I would, but I don't. Um, it, you know, needless enough to say, I'm not trying to name drop here, but a buddy of mine is the one that invented the Trident. You know, Jim Welsh. Um, he invented the Trident. You know how many Tridents I have out there? <laughs> Again, this is a this is a maintenance thing, and I bet you if there's some maintenance guys watching this, they're like, "Oh, been stupid. Uh, I'm a maintenance guy, and we have tons of." You know, Trident's out there. And that's cool. You know, we all do our own thing. But so the problem is, is you're paying me $150 an hour to be at your place. You know, and if I have overages, I have to explain those overages. Well, I mean, I can't really. I'd love to, but I can't really, like, poke you for, you know, $600 a visit because I'm dicking with your Apex or, you know, this other thing. So all the little inherent things. I think the Trident is great. But let's be honest, you have to fiddle with it a little bit. And some, you know, the tubes can slip out, the you know, oh, yeah. calibration. What about, um, what about tank automation? Do you have uh, controllers on the tanks, some of the tanks that you uh, take care of? My most VIP client tank has a full suite. Well, I say full suite, but it doesn't have the Trident on there. But I, I guess I might try to start doing that. He, he pays me what amounts to Ferrari payments once a month. He pays my mortgage once a month for, for me to clean his tank. Um, and that's about what it takes. You know, would I love to be like dripping with clients like that? Hell yeah. You know, is that the reality? Those are what we call whale clients. And the problem with whale clients or or when you lose a whale client. Oh, that yeah, hurts. I bet. Yeah, that's got to be. A if, if you just immediately remove $2,000 a month from what you make, it stings. It doesn't mean you don't take them. Of course you take them. But if you if you center your entire business around whale clients, it's just too blocky. You know, it's great when you get one. It hurts when you. So, I mean, you go clean all sorts of stuff. And, hey, I'll tell you, even me, I clean some tanks that I would never show you that I'd maybe be embarrassed about. But they pay me $150 an hour. But they might be a 30-gallon freshwater tank with blood parrot cichlids in it. So um, I want to talk about the bacteria, and I also want to talk about um, you know new um, tank builds that you do. But um, just to wrap up the maintenance part of the conversation, what would you say your top three maintenance tips for folks out there 
terms of keeping a reef tank? Let's let's just say a mixed mixed reef. Top top three maintenance tips. The first thing that comes to mind is learn what wet skimming is, and and utilize it to your advantage. Um, maybe I mean I don't know if we have the scope to do it here, but maybe I'll come back on the show, or maybe we'll do it on. Well, I th- we did a thing on it on reef beef, but I kind of go into depth about what wet skimming is. It's not necessarily something that you do. It's not something you do twenty four seven. It's something you do as a strategy when you go to do maintenance on a tank. So wet skimming has been extremely helpful for me. Um, maintenance things. Uh, second thing I would say is we all have different personalities, different abilities to um, remember to do things and stay on top of things. You know, some people are just like, you know, military precision on doing their stuff. Some people are like, oh, shit, I forgot to do a water change. I mean, we all have smartphones, use the calendars, stuff like that. Our, our reef tanks need stability and consistency. Whatever the hell you have to do to get that stability and consistency, do it. Don't forget to do water changes. Keep track of when you added carbon. Add it on a regular basis. GFO, if you use GFO, any of these things that you can quantify, try to stay similar. You know, Don't, oh, I have a phosphate problem. I'm going to put a shitload of GFO in there. Don't do that. Don't move things, even if you're moving from bad to good. Don't move things too fast. That's when you kill stuff. Move slowly. Stability, consistency. Be consistent in your maintenance. Do you um do you prefer to use um you know like macro like natural means for uh, nutrient control, or do you uh, typically end up using GFO? I think, like all of us, I am I am I'm a slave to my own experiences. We all have different experiences. So I was an early adopter of refugiums in the real early, early well, the beginning of the 2000s um, when Lang Tsai had ecosystem. And so everyone had the ecosystems, you know, and then I I never bought this, though, because they, you know, Lang Lang was like, uh, get rid of your skimmer. But I always looked at the functionality of the skimmers and I was like, nah, dude, don't get rid of your skimmer. And it was telling because before before ecosystem kind of ran its course and now i don't even know if they still exist but before it ran its course at the near the very end they started um marketing their own little skimmer so after a while they're like oh wait we have a little skimmer because i mean skimmers are just so great with gas exchange and nutrient removal and um now i've also watched um refugiums become more complicated you had to realize this too when we first started doing refugiums. They had the like weakest bullshit lights you could imagine above them, you know. So you're trying to you're trying to light a macroalgae to suck nutrients out, and when you you put some wimpy bullshit light above yeah. there, what are you going to achieve out of that? Nothing. Yeah. So you know it's interesting nowadays with Kessel and the, I don't know how much I believe with this stuff. Like if you watch Keith's, you know, viewers, if you watch Keith's episode where me and Richard and Tulio we're on it and we're discussing this, you know, Kessel has a light where they market that's kind of like blue spectrum and red spectrum, the photosynthetic A and photosynthetic B. Now, Tulio was kind of pushing back on that and he was saying that's not necessary to pin those two spectrums. I don't know. This is above my head. That's above my pay grade. But uh, let's face it, that refugium lights are far stronger. So that only makes sense to me now. But like I said, so your question was, you know, do I rely on fugiums? I don't have 
I have one tank out there right now that has a refugium on there. For me, refugiums turn into uh, a detritus trap with a freaking mess, yeah. with with a live filter in it that sometimes shits the bed and causes problems <laughs> yeah. in the tank. And if you want to think about it philosophically too, so you know you're only removing nutrients when that macroalgae is growing vigorously. If you don't remove pieces, throw it away, and, and, and just keep up with everything to keep that macroalgae growing vigorously, you start getting a nutrient profile that, that is not being up to. It's not, a refugium is not an incredibly stable thing. Over the course of a few months, okay, not over the course of a few years. It's just, you know, some of it died, some of it did this, your light crapped out, this, you know, any of these things are going to just cause nutrient profiles that just, that were being uptaken by the macroalgae, and now all of a sudden aren't it's just it's not the most stable way in my so opinion. you digging more on like algae reactors and algae scrubbers for uh that sort of thing and that just a good skimmer uh good maintenance practices consistent you know do it when you're gonna do it you know a use of a high quality carbon i like kolar labs carbon um maybe a couple other things that scavenge uh nutrients like purigen or um uh, Purigen, Seachem uh, has a kind of a new product that's like a more, uh, a more effective Purigen. Um, ben, you, you cut out it. when I. But and just you cut out when I asked you that um, that question in terms of whether or not you just uh, you know would prefer to go with algae reactors or scrubbers versus a refugium. Oh, okay. Yeah, I kind of skip algae oh, you altogether. Do? Okay. I just don't. I don't exactly find it. You know, it, on top of that. I think the algal scrubbers can be great, but I mean, from what I see, from my perspective, they're they're almost exclusively, um, they're what's causing us to add more nitrate and phosphate. You put this damn thing on there to get rid of nitrate and phosphate, and now you're trying to feed it to make it grow. Okay, there's there's going to be smarter people than I am watching this. Tell me how that makes sense. So a couple of comments here. Uh, let me uh, scroll through here. Um, Calypso's Reef. Reef therapy and wrapping with the reef foam, the best live. Thank you guys for sharing all the knowledge. You guys got to be live, though. I don't know if you could take. <laughs> um, yeah. Trevor King, I don't like refugiums either. ACI Aquaculture. Hey, Chris. Chris is in the house. Just had Tulio over yesterday. Learn something new every awesome. time. I think that was a three-and-a-half-hour conversation, uh, according to what I remember, Chris. <laughs> He kept, he's like, as long as you want, <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I can only imagine Chris and, and, and Tulio that um, I'm surprised it wasn't a 13-hour a conversation. I've never spoken to Chris in person, but one of these days, Chris, we got to talk at a magna because, like, he's it, after listening to him, you know, it's like, that's another dude I look up to. Yeah, Chris, uh, well, I'll tell you, you know, I had, a, I had an opportunity to visit Chris's place uh, firsthand, you know, after chatting with him a couple of times, and... Uh, the corals uh, speak volumes in terms of what uh, what Chris is doing there, so he knows his stuff. Any old school person that's just kind of doing their own thing. I even like it when sometimes, like he's, like I saw on one of your shows that he was uh, kind of talking about how, you know, screw alkalinity, follow pH. I still have kind of troubles with that because I'm not sure if I agree with that. But I, I just love old school people that are kind of doing their own thing. I mean, the pushing the boundaries is how we we make the boundaries bigger. So Chris, I did. Chris mentioned that uh, he and Tulia were chatting about bacteria and UV levels on LEDs. So let's, let's talk about bacteria. What are, you mentioned that, 
you know, is that something that um, you've started to do with your uh, your customers in terms of dosing bacteria? Is that, um, you know, how, how close are you if you're not to uh, doing that? Not, not, not yet, because here's the thing that you, that I'm against doing to my clients. I cannot turn my clients tanks into guinea pigs. I could do this at home, the experimentation at home. But if you're paying me a thousand dollars a month and I'm showing up at your house all the time, cleaning your tank and I crash that some bitch, but you know, I can't do that. So I can't get too wild and wooly with that sort of thing. Um, but it, but it is something, you know, as a, as a diehard hobbyist and, and a professional, like I have my work thing, but then I come home too. And I, I try to keep my finger on the pulse of what hobbyists are doing and what the industry as a whole is doing with direct it's going. And I just see an awful lot of it, it's, it seems a subject where a lot of us just regular people don't, uh, um, you know, have a good read on. So there's a lot there that could be, you know, why did my algae go out of, whack why did i get cyanobacteria what are dinoflagellates i just feel like there's this whole hidden biological realm that that us end users don't know a whole lot about that the experts could come yep i'm i'm actually doing an experiment now and i guess you know these are my tanks so i can experiment but i'm doing some experimenting with uh with some bacteria you know from uh from brightwell and uh yeah we'll see how it goes it's um you know it's 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 a long process it's not something that um you know you see results within a couple of weeks it's it's over several months i mean that kind of gets me like like there had been times a long time in the past when i was using bio pellets and i would use microbacter 7 like and this is not a comment on that specific product but the tricky thing about that is there's all these products on the shelf that we use and then so I would go and I would use it. And then you would ask me, like, what did you see? And it's like, I, I don't know. It seems like maybe the tank's better. But, you know, and then you could be like, I always use Microbacter 7. <laughs> like, I don't freaking know, but it looks like. And why is the tank better? Did you pick up maintenance? Did you, you know, did you start adding carbon? Like, if it's a true scientific experiment, you can't do too many things at exactly. once. Exactly. You know, and. um I kind of screwed up because I started using UV on, on the system as well, you know, in addition to using the uh, the bacteria. So I, I think I just kind of effed it all up because now I can't just say, you know, hey, it's the bacteria because it could be the bacteria. plus. Yeah, just pour the bacteria. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to turn the UV off for that, you know, and give, yeah. them, give, them, give them time to colonize. And um, Yeah, I like UVs on fish-only systems. I've never been a big fan of them on reef systems. Now, you could also say I'm a fan if you own a store and you have a coral holding system. Yep. Okay, be a fan of UV on there. But as a, a home a home reef tank, I just, I don't know, not big I, on UVs um, on there. I, so the first UV I put on was my for my new 225-gallon peninsula tank, and I had a, a serious outbreak of dinos. And, um, you know, I so I, I ID'd them as a free-floating type of dinos that go into the water column at night. And I put a UV on and within, uh, you know, I did a two day blackout knock on wood. It's been like, you know, over two months, I have not seen them back. So I'm, I'm just continuing to run that UV. And my theory is in terms of the UV is, is not being harmful to the, to the reef is because all that beneficial bacteria is, is pretty much going to be in your live rock. Right. Yeah. They're not going to be floating around in the water column, maybe, um, a small percentage. So, yeah. um, I've been doing, Oh, and dinos make you want to cry. What's that? 
Dinos will make you want to cry. I broke a tank down because of dinos, you know, five years ago. I just, um, I, I threw my hands up. I gave up. I tried everything. I was, I was like trying uh, blackouts. I was trying, um, you know, the hydrogen peroxide. I tried um, adding a lot of pods, getting my nitrates and phosphates up. I had this guy. Is it company that I think that makes a, a product that is supposed to yeah. do away? Do you know which one that is? about uh, Dino a... X? I think so. Who makes that? Um, I'm spacing on terms of who makes that. It's not Salaford. It's There's not, a couple products uh, out there. There's a couple yeah. products out there. Um, but yeah, this time the um, the UV was the ticket for me. Really? It just boom. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I um, I'm now using it on my other system. Just well, hell, hell, even as a like a temporary thing to get you over the the pass and then. Put it in the closet after For that, sure. or leave. All right, dude. So let's uh, let's talk about new tank builds. How often are you doing that? Um, I'm just a small company because it's just me. I've had employees in the past, but I I kind of prefer to do this on my own, like a solo artist. So, and and also too, when people contact me for an estimate, like I feel like uh, at least in my market, like I I try to go pretty you know pretty good setup. That I do. So my setups tend to be, you know, it depends on the size. But and if you're talking about a reef tank, you know, you're talking in excess of ten thousand yeah. dollars. A lot of times you're talking in the teens, maybe the twenties. Um, I did I did set up a, a sixty thousand dollar tank once. It was many years ago. But uh, um, the VIP client tank that I have, that one was fifty thousand. Um, but I would say if I was going to throw a dart and say what is most, mostly my systems are just shy of 20 grand. And so, um, it just doesn't happen all the time. You go through, you know, you get a lot of phone calls either for maintenance yeah. for a jacked up or now and then you get, you know, this, this, uh, kind of song and dance that I do for a living. It can be real interesting. You live and die on your own sword. So, um, you know, it's funny. I kind of come from nothing, just a small town in, in uh, Texas. And it's like I, prior to this, I had no experience being around like famous or wealthy people. And frankly, in the beginning of my career, it, it, it scared the shit out yeah. of me. And uh, um, I, I didn't come from money, so I didn't even know how to act around mm. money. You know, it took me a lot of years to, to understand that. But, you know, and again, not to sound arrogant, but now at this point, it feels weird because I've sat across from like uh ceos of a fortune 500 company and uh you know really kind of went hard in the pain about convincing them to to do a certain thing you know just kind of after being around enough of these people i you know you just kind of you get you get kind of more i don't want to genderize it but you just get more oomph to dealing with them yeah. it's like look dude you don't you don't say the name, but it's like I've stood in front of Emmett Smith and talked him into something. I stood in front of this, you know, Fortune 500 CEO and convinced him to do this thing that he really was kicking and screaming. But I got him to agree with. So after a while, you just, you know, you, you get better at convincing people to to get these systems. But uh, I don't know. So the, to get back to the question, is you, how often does this happen? Maybe once or twice a year. So um, when you do a, uh, a new tank build, do you ever get into like a custom aquarium or is it all like, you know, mass manufacturer? Oh, that's all. That's all do I you do. have like a tank builder uh, that you like is your kind of go to? What's that? Planet, Planet Aquariums, Planet hands aquariums. down. Okay. 
What do you like in terms? Um, Go ahead. Acrylic. Not a. I'm not a giant acrylic fan, but if I was doing acrylic, there's a. Um, oh, what a time to have a brain fart. They're in. They're in uh, uh, Arizona. Okay. Um, they they took over from uh, Tenacore. They took over when Tenacore died. So what's your uh, what's owner. your go to in terms of a uh, custom glass uh, aquarium? And I you know low iron glass, Euro bracing, external overflows. Does it vary? This might this might be there might be someone watching too that's like boo. Okay, so low iron glass. I could be wrong at this point, but early on in the game. Low iron glass was largely something that you were sold to just upsell the tank. Um, now, I do remember times in my career in Dallas, there was this lady that had a 700-gallon glass aquarium that was very tall. And it, the tank was like kind of greenish looking because there was so much iron in that glass. So, yeah, that, that could have been... a. Um, that could have been a good point. You know, the thing that trips me out is these little tanks, like Ultim Systems yeah. or whatever, that are like low iron, these little tiny glass. Yeah, I would argue with you that, you know, what sort of clarity are you getting out of that? It's not a big deal. It's more like, you know, just trying to, a seat trying to find an ass to fit in it. <laughs> like, you know, low iron, I would never get a tank that doesn't have low iron glass. You Let me help you get the hook out of your mouth. It's not... <laughs> It's not that damn big of a deal. Also, you have to realize that, it, and hey, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but so low iron glass is a little softer than the regular glass that we use, Scratch so it scratches a easier. More, yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I, man, I'm I love Planet Aquarium, but if I, it, you know, if you're contacting me and you want to go full tilt, it's you know I always do custom, and uh, so I love the one with the PVC bottom. Yeah. You know, if we're if we're gonna go. If we're gonna go balls to the wall let's get a tank that's gonna outlast you you know so the pvc bottom probably the the steel you know structural steel outside surrounds um you know it's funny i do i do in the some of the things that i do i do carry with me the fact that i've been doing this for a long time so sometimes i still use the traditional internal overflow box oh, really? uh, i i could like the external one a little more it's just I, I just don't find too many troubles in my opinion. Now, if I'm putting a tank in the wall, I'll, I'll more often than not go towards the external overflow because you, I don't like external overflow when it's a standalone tank sitting against a wall because then you have to come up off yep. the wall a little bit. I don't like that look. Um, but you know, things like the bean animal overflow, I find that a little on the excessive side. People are... People are so afraid of like, what if my overflow clogs? <laughs> well, don't put a one inch overflow. Go to one and a half inch or yeah, two I inch overflow. Yeah, I always like one and, half, one and one half inch for the um, drains. That's a big thing that I would recommend to people. If you're lucky enough to where you're getting it, I'm, I'm got this, I got a bonus or I won the lottery. I'm going to get my new tank. Hey, if you're asking someone to custom design a tank, go with larger overflows. What a, They're just in more quiet what too. about dimensions you know i always say go as wide as possible what do you uh so my so you'd ask a professional aquarist what's your favorite dimension my favorite dimension is width front to back yes yeah i uh i'm not a big fan of tall tanks you know my uh my new peninsula tank is only 20 inches tall 
I've always had 24 inch tall tanks. And let me tell you, man, I am digging it. I, I love the, um, and it's 36 inches wide. So 20 inches tall, 36 inches wide. It's, it's great because also I love live rock. And that's another thing we could talk about. Um, you know, I'm not into these whole fancy aquascapes. I don't know what you do in terms of like NSAs or, or what have you, but you know, I just, um, I find like, I don't need to build up the aquascape that high because it's only 20 inches tall. I'm using live rock. I don't have to do a lot of stacking and I'm just digging that. But you know, I think, um, what's that movie? Um, um, I'm, I'm spacing out in the name. You, um, Boogie Nights. You uh, you wear what you dig. You wear yes. what you dig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Boogie Nights reference. <laughs> um, there was another question before. I mentioned Live Rock, and um, I referred to, uh, I guess I made a, a, a soft reference to Dry Rock, but Sand versus Bare Bottom, what do you typically like to do with your tanks? That was a question before. I cannot stand Bare Bottom. can't stand it. Ooh. Okay. However, however, sand can also drive you a little bad. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think I would say too, especially in in shallower tanks, like you're talking about. You know, you're talking about shallow where it's hard to get that good flow. You know, but inherently you've got the pumps close to that. And if you're trying to really push some water around, yeah, the you know the sand making a balding spot over here, packing up over here, and killing your coral over there. It's going to be a little mind-numbing. But I've had a couple clients where it's the fixer-upper where you come in and you're trying to fix things up. Then they're like, I'm trying to do this, you know, you know, bare-bottom tank. And in this one client, it was just driving me nuts. There was just – I was trying all my freaking 25 years of experience, trying this, trying that, next visit, try this, try that. And it's like – I don't know what it was. Like biologically, couldn't get – couldn't get it to behave. My my me. new tank is bare bottom. This is the first time I've ever had a bare bottom tank, you know. So 25 plus years of keeping reef tanks. Always had a sand bed. Love the look of the uh, the sand bed. But um, it's a six foot long by three foot wide peninsula tank that's going to be SPS dominant. I need a lot of flow, you know. So I've got yeah. two MP60s and two MP40s, you know, on the overflow side. And then I got two MP40s you know, on the, um, you know, on the other side. So I got a lot of flow cranking and there's no freaking way that I was going to be able to keep a sand bed in that. No. Tank. All your sand's going to be in the middle. <laughs> never. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I obviously, as we do, I'd sit around cooking up. Oh, wouldn't that be crazy? If I always kind of thought that would be cool. Like you have a 200 gallon tank and then it's tied to another 200 gallon tank that doesn't even have lights or anything on it, but just had a, like a, not a deep sand bed, because I was never a fan of those, but like, you know, a, a one to two inch thick, like sand bed in there. It could be a cryptic zone. It could have, it could be partitioned off and have some of the equipment in part of it as well. But so you could do the, like the, the, you know, a bare bottom in this tank, but it's like actually tied to a sand bed. Yep. A couple of comments here. Jose Estevez, beef. What up, Jose? Yeah, that's a beef. Um, Jason Langer, I also need to have a uh, substrate. I'm using the Reborn Calcium Reactor Medium in my reef tank now, and I love it. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Awesome. That's the fish cookies. So, dude, can you, uh, can you hang around for another 15 minutes or something like that? I'm yours, baby. <laughs> I'm not going to touch that one. 
So, uh, yeah. so, so folks, um, definitely throw some more questions or comments in the, uh, in the chat and, and we'll throw them, um, we'll get them to, uh, to Ben. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? So I, we, we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, live rock. What are you, what are your thoughts on, in terms of starting a tank? Do you use uh, dry rock to start it or do you, um, try to find live rock? I, you know, it's funny. It's hard for me to try to, I don't even know what's available as far as live rock goes nowadays. So you and me have been doing this for similar amounts of time. When I first started in the mid nineties, the, the, the main rock that we were seeing was Marshall Island. Yes. And I don't know if it's one great of those stuff. things where, I don't know if it's one of those things where you like have, you know, it's, it's like, you know, like the founding fathers of the United States, we act like they never did anything wrong, but it's just because over time, like, I'm just, I just remember Marshall Island being like, if you saw a piece now, your jaw would yeah. just fall on the floor. Yeah. Like the deepest, thickest purple coralline, you know, and without much of anything to worry about. So, but not too long after Marshall Islands went away, then it was all about Fiji for a long time. And that was pretty good stuff. But I mean, like I said, again, if anyone watching this had been around during the Marshall Island days, it was just like, you ain't never seen live rock like this. Yeah, I think I've had, I think I, I had some of that stuff. Yeah, and I remember, uh, you know, it's kind of hard because prices would be all over the page. But I remember people selling it for like $10, $12, $15 a pound, you know, crazy prices like that. That's what I think, you know, newer hobbyists don't understand. I remember back in the days when the most money you were spending on a reef tank was from your live yes. rock. yeah. Now it's kind of like that's lights or something. Yes, um, but it used to be your live rock was the most expensive. Tonga thing. Branch was also really high quality stuff. Really, really yeah. high quality stuff. Um, I, use, I use dry rock. I use dry rock that is former Fiji rock. We had a we experienced well. We've experienced a lot of hurricanes. I'm in Houston. We experienced a hurricane in 2008 that wiped out my thousand pound live rock vat Ooh. but i can also tell you that somewhere around those years this industry was like you know what we don't really do live rock anymore so i was kind of like you know what screw it so i brought you know it's funny as i set up reef tanks and you get rock back you this that i can't seem to put a dent in this 250 gallon rubber made container that i have of dried fiji live rock so i've never ordered marco rocks i've never ordered pukani brs i've never mm. ordered I just get my rock from stuff that comes back to me. And I had so much of it. You know, you run a reef tank for five years and then these rich people like, oh, yeah, we're take done it. with this. You take all the stuff back. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of get it back, take it back, get it. So this live rock has probably made me a lot of money because I sell it and then I get it back like so many years later. That That's a pretty, that's it, a good but, business model. Yeah. And I'm not trying to um, pick a fight with anyone, but you know, when you get like a Marco rock, it's real heavy stuff. And they say porosity. If you look at some of my dry Fiji live rock, it doesn't compete with the porosity. Right. It's not the same thing. Right. So, I mean, I always fall back on what I have. I, you know, I, I started my uh, my new tank with um, KP Aquatics live rock, and I'm not um, plugging their product or what have you. You know, it's... it's it... Is it Florida? What's that? Is it Florida? Yes, the Keys. They do things where they rent out like a part of the ocean something front. like that but um this stuff was pretty sweet i think i got it for like um eight dollars a pound plus i paid i got a hundred pounds and i paid um 
$200 to have it shipped overnight in water. You know, so they shipped it in water, wow. and it uh, just came in with incredible amount of bio biodiversity. Of course, it had um, it had a lot of brittle stars. It had a couple of mantis shrimp in there that I was able to uh, extricate. A lot of pistol shrimp, which I think there's still a couple of them uh, snapping away in the uh, in the tank. Randomly yeah. clicking. Yeah, yeah. So a little unnerving. Um, but there, and that's good stuff. So um, a couple other comments that I'm seeing here in the uh, in the chat. The uh, Scotty Damron, does Ben prefer a calcium reactor or two-part? I prefer two-part because you got to understand where I'm coming from, too, is that um, I've also watched over the years, man, calcium reactors have come a long way as, as well. But I do two-part, and I'll be, I'll be completely transparent for you here because you will make pretty good money selling the two-part to the client. Um, and it's just it's just freaking easy. It's a doser that doses it in. I like to be able to pretty easily quantify it. I'm adding 30 mils a day, and then I go and check their alkalinity. It's not enough. I bump it up, and I just you know, and I it's quantifiable like that. Yeah, I know calcium reactors can be quantifiable, but man, back in the 90s and the early 2000s were the last times that I was messing with calcium reactors. And they, they, all the models back then would get vapor locked real bad with the you know, carbon dioxide bubbles. And that sort of made me go like, eh. But, you know, when you've been doing this for a long time, there are things that you're like, oh, I don't mess with those. Right. And people will say, dude, they're better. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I know they're better. And maybe I'll come full circle one day. And I've hopped back and forth, you know, between calcium reactors and two-part. And, and um, I just recently transitioned from two-part to a calcium reactor for my my 187 gallon system which is actually has two frag tanks plumbed into it but the reason why i did that was because i was using like 300 mls of each two part a day and it was just killing yeah. me cost wise just killing me you know what i like to do is use a vast marine uh, k1 caulkwasser reactor and, and in the past i have tied that to the ato that's not exactly the best yeah. way to do it so i've you know i'll, I'll get a doser and I'll dose a certain amount of Kalkwasser. Now, Kalkwasser is not good at bringing you to your levels, but it is pretty good at keeping you around the levels. But I also like to use Kalkwasser to kind of take, well, it does a lot of things, you know, it'll precipitate out phosphate and many other things. It'll react with carbon dioxide. But I also like to use it to kind of take a little bit of the, you know, a little bit of the shine off of so much part A and yep. B. And, and it's good in terms of elevating the pH. I do the uh, the Chris Meckley uh, methodology in terms of the Kalkwasser uh, method. And I know uh, there's going to be a video going out pretty soon about what, what exactly uh, Chris does with that. Um, yeah, instantly I had a system that was running one of those CO2 scrubbers, and I ran that experiment for like a year and a half. It kind of became a pain in the ass, and then I implemented Kalkwasser, and I was like, dude, it's just way easier and it did everything that the scrubber was doing. So I've seen this question pop up a couple of times. It might've been from the same person, but what about um, getting rid of bryopsis? When you see bryopsis in a system, how do you tackle that? So I'm going to sound like an asshole here because um, by and large, now granted, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not above any sort of pest, but by and large, I just, you know, with consistent, and good maintenance practices, I steer around it. Now, when I come take over a tank that you neglected, that's when I come into contact with it. I don't really come into contact with systems that I set up from scratch and I'm maintaining. 
Um, but when I'm coming by and rehabbing your tank and trying to pull it out somewhere, so how do I deal with yeah. it? Um, I will tell the client, the new client, that there's a cheap way and expensive way. The expensive way is shit can your stuff and let's start <laughs> over. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, and they look at the price and they're like, oh, golly, I don't have 15. <laughs> like, okay. Or, you know, be patient. I'm going to do a bang up job. And I'm just going to do all my things that I do. I'm going to introduce Kolar Labs carbon and ch using a small amount, changing it frequently. I'm going to have maybe poly filters or purigen in there somewhere. I'm going to do you come come this often and and do you know concise water changes, you know. And but I do like to take uh, until the bryopsis is gone. I like to use a smaller diameter hose and remove. Remove as much as possible when you're cleaning the water change and everything else. Remove, remove, remove. That bryopsis is sucking up nutrients and kind of sequestering it. And so if you just ignore it, it can die in other bryopsis somewhere else in the tank. We'll sequester it as well. That's the classic example when someone comes in and say, my tank's full of algae. I did a phosphate test. I'm not reading any phosphate. And it's like, dude, there's a shit ton of phosphate in your tank. It's held... And by the bryopsis, if you did something to kill all of it at once, you're going to have a massive amount of phosphate in there. So remove, 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 remove. Do things to address how you got the bryopsis and just keep removing consistent maintenance and power out. Of and and um, pinching the bryopsis with your fingers is not necessarily the best thing to do, right? Because if you pinch it, you could release some spores in the water and it could spread more, right? If it's releasing spores and that's your that's your issue, then get a UV sterilizer that at least you're using temporarily, and uh, run it in the style of uh, busting up algae spores. So how do you, you? I mean, do you do? So you're essentially find it effective to siphon it with a little hose. You can. Um... Yeah. And I'm pinching it, and I might be doing something dumb, but it seems to work. It seems to work for me. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, have you ever tried dosing peroxide, Annie Jefferson? I have I have watched people do all manner of things, and I know there's a lot of people that probably the guy that made that comment, you know, has done that successfully. Um, maybe that made me a little nervous. And and again, if I'm doing it at home, okay, I'll experiment with mine. I'm not putting weird things or trying weird things in client tanks. It, there's a problem. It's not my tank. They have three thousand dollars worth of corals in there. I dump something in there and kill it. What's my answer? You know, I can't do stuff like yeah. that. Dude, we're about an hour and a half into this thing. Um, what else do you want? I'm in, I'm like Chris, Chris Meckley, man. I'm just like, you want to keep talking? I'll keep talking. <laughs> the wife's not showing up, shaking her head at me. So whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anybody else have any uh, questions? Put them in, in the chat. What's um what's coming uh, down the pike with the reef beef, man? What are you guys uh, going to be talking about? Uh, we recently recorded, but it didn't. We didn't air it yet. I think we try to we try to put our stuff out every Friday. So we recently recorded our 25th show, and we kind of dedicated it to uh, to the beefers, to our fans. We call beefers, and and that kind of happened. I don't even know how that happened, but it was just like we should call our fans something, so we call them beefers. And uh, so we dedicated to them to them. There was a membership at a certain level. You get to ask us questions. So we answered a bunch of those questions and I don't know, we'll keep, 
that's what I said is uh, as long as people are watching them and they give two shits, <laughs> then we'll keep as long as I call up friends in the industry and give them to get them to give us money for talking about them for two minutes at a pop. <laughs> I'll do that too. <laughs> Whatever it takes, right? I mean, maintenance guy i'm not driving around in a ferrari <laughs> so whatever side i got three kids man, life is crushing me bro <laughs> hey man you gotta you gotta make a living right yeah um so we got another question about the sand bed um does ben siphon sand beds fully or does he recommend only surface um i go fully but i'll only i'll usually only attack like hey this left half you know, and then next time I show up, I'll get that right half. And I also have a specific method. Sometimes I feel like I'm in a vacuum because I don't go on forums. And besides what I do for work, it's only like kind of what I see and this and that. So I sometimes don't know what other people are doing. But so I, I make my own gravel vacs out of Harville Clear PVC. And then I like to the tubing. I like from BRS, that silicone tubing, because it's easier to pinch. So, wanna, so sand is notoriously impossible to gravel vac. But here's the deal. If you go in at the sand and then you hold the gravel vac very diagonally and then you kind of work pinching that soft tubing line. Now, that's why I don't use vinyl or any other like Lowe's or Home Depot line on a gravel vac. I like that BRS soft silicone because I kind of modulate and pinch it. And you can do it to where you can see the detritus come out, but you're not pulling the sand down. Whereas if this is a freshwater tank, you're going in vertical and kind of doing that. Sand, I go in real diagonally. Um, do you believe in, um, you know... Unicorn? Yes. Okay, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> uh, shallow sand beds or deep sand beds? I go like an inch, yeah. an inch and a half. Not really two inches. Yeah. And I also don't, I also really don't like sand sand. You know, I'm thinking like a Carib C uh, special grade aragonite, the one that you're not sure. You can almost kind of call it sand, but it's like tiny gravel. Um, I think South Down was like that or that whatever flake, you know, very, very small flakes. Um, somebody mentioned, I, I can't remember who, that um, they're using the um, Julian's, the Reborn for um uh -huh. kind of like a, a sand bed but that's cool like i've got that. um i've got a whole bunch of carob c large arm media that um they, they changed their formula over the years so uh -huh. there's a much lower melting point and uh yeah i can't use this stuff so if anybody wants a uh a sand bed i've got like 10 10 uh, gallon jugs of that thing so uh hit me up for that <laughs> Hey, if we're talking quirky things, and I was going to put this on Facebook when I'm ready to do it, for for a decade, I have a mesh bag where I have been collecting dead snail shells out of clients, and I've got well, I've got enough for a decent sized tank. But I want I have no idea why I want to do this. But hey, that's what the freaking hobby is about, right? I have no idea why I want to do this, but I want to make an entire like one and a half inch bed tank of uh you know astraea trochus you know conks i just wanted a whole sand bed made out of snail shells you know what i do with my uh things that that um you know shit the bed in my tank you know so i live in vermont you know and and uh, we live uh, in a very uh rural area woods and all that stuff when i when, when something dies i take it 
and I chuck it outside. So there's in the woods, there's scattered like, you know, coral people think it's coral skeletons, there's like clamshells, there's crap like that all over the place. And just the other day, you know, we got a dog. I guess the dog like fished out a, one of the clamshells. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in Vermont, there's like a forest littered in tridacna shells. Yeah. So we're going to get some some uh, biologists one of these days, you know, snooping around our woods and, and is going to come upon this discovery and think they do. Or, <laughs> or Keith, a thousand years right. from now, scientists will be, there must have been a right. shallow reef here. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm told. So I have a fun story right All there. Right. Um, my very first reef tank ever. My very first reef tank ever. I think it was was 1995, but I had an Australian sea apple, but I also had an Ebo Jaeger, which now is now Eheim, but an Ebo Jaeger heater running horizontally across the back of the tank. Well, that sea apple traveled across the Ebo Jaeger. It kicked on, and it kind of burnt them in half. It killed all my fish. And I was so pissed, even though I knew it. It's a, it, it's a, um, it's a, in a group of animals called holothurians, and it has a point of a venom or poison in it, called holothuria. But so I took that thing, and I back in the day I lived across from an elementary school football yard, and I threw that thing into the yard. <laughs> well, the next day I saw like a group of kids standing around this thing. I didn't walk over there, but I know they're like, it's aliens. <laughs> you know, what the hell is that thing? They're like poking it with a stick. <laughs> I just was sitting there watching it and be like, yeah, let's let them be confused. Uh, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So, um, man, listen, I think we're going to, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. I'd love to have you back yep. on. I think, um, Chris is, uh, is offering up to, uh, to join you on one of these, uh, live streams <laughs> and old, old school unite yeah i think he also invited you down to his facility if you're ever in uh flaw so hell yeah yeah so uh dude anything else hey well let me say uh thank you for having me on i like what you're doing i think you need more and more and more um fans i think you deserve it i think you're kicking ass and i like what you're doing thanks man likewise I'm, i'm a big fan of what you guys are doing and um you know i think we should uh definitely uh you know keep helping each other uh out and and um keep spreading the word hey, you know aquatic themed is that what they say a, a tide rises all yes. boats I, is that how it goes yes. the uh right all boats rise with the, whatever that uh i sit backwards yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right man any any uh, any other final words before we do a wrap just whatever you're doing keep it consistent yeah Good advice. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this show. I, I definitely want to give my uh, sincere thanks to uh, to Ben. Love to have him back on solo in combination with somebody else. We got all these weird combinations. We had you and Ben and Tulio. Now we might have you and Chris. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time kind of connecting all the dots. Yeah. <laughs> my max, though, was three guests. I can't. I don't know if I could, unless I have a true Brady Bunch screen going on here. I'm not sure I can get more than... Yeah. <laughs> Four, four screens going anyway yeah so uh my next live stream is going to be thursday july 29th at 7 p.m eastern standard time this is going to be another treat i'm going to have john coppolino on who, oh cool. yeah who's known as uh cops he's had some uh really big old yes tank. he's got like a uh, 1300 gallon display tank he's had some sps corals named after him he's won tank of the month honors a couple of different times he uh what's that 
in he in DC? Yes, he's in the DC area. Yeah. So, he's a cool yeah, guy. Yeah, I've um, I've never met him, just conversed with him uh, online. So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, to having him on. Anyway, folks, thanks again for tuning in. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Be safe, and until then, later.